The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have Dr. Dwayne Scotty with me today. He is a physical therapist, a run coach, host of the Healthy Runner podcast, and founding owner of Spark Physical Therapy. Dr. Dwayne has been a leader in the rehab and running community for over 18 years. He is passionate about helping runners feel strong and confident so that they can stay healthy and become lifelong injury-free runners. With that said, we all know that MS symptoms can often prevent or reduce running and even exercise in general. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about specific exercises runners should do, steps to improving your running distance, what shoe wear might be best for you, and a whole bunch more. You're going to learn a lot and there's lots of resources in the show notes too, so make sure to check those out. Dr. Dwayne Scotty, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Gretchen. I'm excited to talk about running and how we can manage it, even if we have MS. Absolutely. I'm so excited because we've yet to have a guest on our podcast to talk specifically about running. And I feel like you are the go-to guy for all things running, especially because you're a physical therapist. So you know what you're talking about when it comes to strategies and exercises. So I'm really excited to dive in. Can you explain a little bit about your running journey and kind of how you got to where you are now, where you're mainly focused on training clients for running? Yeah. And it it was something that I thought I would never be doing right now when I look back. Uh, so I've been a physical therapist for 19 years now. I started out as kind of a, a generalist physical therapist working in a rehab hospital. And then I actually wound up seeing a lot of clients with MS, spinal cord injuries, and going through PT school. My first love was musculoskeletal orthopedics, sports medicine. I was a personal trainer while I was in PT school. So I always had this kind of training background and always saw myself going into sports medicine. And I started my career out treating more neuro patients who had neurodiagnoses than actual orthopedic diagnoses. And then I wound up kind of going back to my roots and specialized in being an orthopedic certified specialist. And I started teaching part-time for 10 years. I became full-time professor teaching musculoskeletal content. And I've always been a clinical faculty member. So I've always treated and I kind of went from hospital-based system to private practice And I always knew as I went into different areas that the runners that I was helping at the time needed some better care than the current system offered, if you will. Hence, I started my own practice and 
that has definitely evolved a lot since COVID and is really all online now in terms of working with runners from a coaching perspective. And really my big gripe or big frustration that I was having was helping runners and runners being told that they needed to stop running whenever they got injured or that running was bad for their knees or they would get arthritis if they started running. So I was on a, a journey and a challenge to share some good quality evidence-based information, just like you do with your MS community and share that actually running is benefits and no, it doesn't cause arthritis. And if you have plantar fasciitis and you have foot pain, like you can actually still run. You don't have to stop running for two to three months, go to physical therapy. And then they discharge you and then they say, go back to running. And then your pain just comes back again. So I've just been passionate about sharing the proper ways to not only recover from injury, but to train so we can prevent injuries from coming back in the future. Yeah. And I love that you have so much diversity just in the fields that you've worked in. That was one thing that really attracted me to the physical therapy profession is that I felt like, well, I'll never get bored because I can work in home health or I can teach at a college or outpatient physical therapy. Never once though, did I think that I'd have an online <laughs> business right. as you do. So that's really funny. And I love how similar our mindsets are in terms of working with clients based on this specific activity or function that they're working towards. Before we get to the nitty gritty details, can you explain for us what certain benefits of specifically running might be for people who have MS, but even in general too? Yeah. So the benefits of running are plentiful. It's like considered the magic pill. Running has so many, so many benefits from a physical standpoint, mental standpoint. You know, some of the things that have been shown in the literature from a, like a health standpoint is like your blood pressure decreases, your cholesterol goes down, your body weight goes down, cancer risk, anxiety and stress go down, even cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes risk all go down with running. And then the other things that go up with running and the things that increase is, you know, better sleep patterns, better bone strength. So if you're struggling with bone health and have history of fractures or at risk of getting osteopenia or osteoporosis, running can certainly help with that. Lung function, sexual function, immune system, longevity, concentration, and focus. And then the one that I've really noticed, especially since all of COVID happened, is the mental health benefits of running. And I know in our Healthy Runner community, that has been the number one thing that everyone kind of has said. You usually start running for like the physical benefits, which was kind of my story of just getting back in shape after I had a hip surgery, but you stay you know, for the running and you stay as a runner for the mental health benefits and just noticing how much more focused you feel and how much it kind of resets you on a daily basis. So many, many benefits of running and why one would consider taking up running and it's easy to do. You don't need a lot of equipment. Yeah, that's so true. I love that. It's, it's so accessible for anyone who wants to give it a go. So are there specific exercises that runners should be doing? And also, maybe we should clarify what the term runner means, because being a runner isn't necessarily a marathoner or just people that run over three miles. 
you know, so whether we have listeners that run a half of a mile or are marathoners, are there any specific exercises that they should definitely be doing? Absolutely. And if anyone goes out there for a jog and you're a jogger, you are a runner, right? So if you are doing anything faster than walking and you're actually getting off of being on two legs at the same time, because when we run, we're always on one leg and what we call single leg stance. And there are specific demands that occur through your body when we run. So for instance, every single step that you take, there's two and a half to three times your body weight that's actually transmitted through your legs and up into your body. And we need to strengthen our bodies in order to tolerate the demands of running. And the five tips for kind of healthy running and really three of those tips relate to your main question, which is strengthening and how do we strength train in order to run? And that's, I guess, from a mindset standpoint of someone was a runner or they were thinking about starting to run, I would say the first thing that you need to wrap your mind around is running is not going to be your only form of exercise. And we actually have to train our bodies to tolerate the demands that running brings. So just like a volleyball player, both my girls play volleyball or a soccer player, a basketball player, right? They're not only playing basketball. They're not only playing volleyball. They're training and they're doing other exercises to do that. Us as what I like to call, I'm an adult onset runner, um, started running <laughs> at age 32. Running is our sport. So just like any other athlete would train for their sport, we need to train our bodies to tolerate the demands of running. And the three strengthening principles that are kind of in my spark blueprint is really, you have to train running specific muscles. And I know you are big at MS specific muscles, right? That tend to get weak for folks that run because the demands on one leg, one of the muscle groups that's often neglected in a classic HIIT style workout, boot camp style workout, whatever kind of strengthening class you might've been exposed to is your side hip muscles. So your gluteus medius muscle, which is extremely important in keeping our pelvis level when we run and has been shown to be a huge risk factor in weakness of that muscle to getting the most common running related injury, which they call runner's knee or just kneecap pain, patellofemoral pain syndrome. And then the other second most common knee pain complaint is IT band syndrome. So if you've ever had achiness in your knee or you had pain on the outside of your knee when you were running and you're like, oh, that means I could never run. My body's just not built for running. No, your muscles might just not know how to work and know how to fire in order to keep your pelvis level when you are running. So making sure you're doing dedicated strengthening exercises for your side hip muscle, your gluteus medius, as well as your deep hip rotator muscles, which no one really knows about unless you're a physical therapist, but these are the muscles that really control the longest bone in your body, your femur bone, and how it's positioned when you are running. So again, commonly these muscles are usually just, we don't know how to fire them. We never did any specific exercises for them in our lives, maybe. And it is kind of the biggest muscle that you might've heard before is the piriformis muscle. So you might've had a friend that was like, ah, this piriformis syndrome, it killed me or I had sciatica and it was due to my piriformis muscle. Commonly that muscle is very weak and you need to train it and you need to actually learn how to control that long femur bone in strengthening exercises. 
So those are like, you know, two of the common, but there are running specific muscles that you want to focus on. The glute max is another big one that's going to really take pressure off of the hamstring tendon, which can be a common running related injury, like upper hamstring tendon pain. So that's one principle. And then another principle, which again, Gretchen, I know you are big about this with getting folks with MS to walk is doing strengthening exercise on one leg. And as I mentioned before, running, you're always on one leg. So making sure we're strength training on one leg is another principle. And then the third principle is actually getting our muscles to be reactive to the ground and what we call jump training or some plyometric training. And I don't want to scare anyone right now. They might be thinking of some crazy video. They saw someone jumping up like two boxes and you're like, I'm never going to do that. But there are some simple, basic, what we call plyometric exercises to teach our brains to actually fire our muscles quickly because running is essentially a series of hopping from one foot to the other. So we need to actually train our muscles to actually work in that fashion. So they are protecting our joints and they are protecting our running form when we're out there. So we're not having this running form and repeated pounding that may possibly lead to some running related injuries. So I know that was a very long answer to your question, but you can tell this is a topic I'm very passionate about is strength training in order to run. I loved all of those things. Though. That was such a great lowdown of all the things that really go into running. And it's so important because that's something that I preach is not just doing the movement that you want to do, but break it down. And oftentimes it does include strengthening and balance and flexibility and all these things in addition to the full movement in this case, running. Also, I have totally been that person who have said, oh, my body's not made for running. <laughs> I have ran a half marathon, six half marathons now, but during my first one, I specifically remember saying to my sister who I was training with, like, oh, my knees are killing me. My body just does not like this. I'll finish it because I started training, but my body just doesn't like it. And I just assumed that everyone had knee pain. That was just something that runners suffered from. And it wasn't until about a year later when I started training for my second one that I realized like, wow, there are actually things that you can do to run comfortably and even just walk comfortably. So many clients have pain in their knees just when walking. And it boils down to the same thing. You know, those outer hip muscles, glutes are so, so, so important. So I love that breakdown. And I personally have many, many clients who used to love running. Like that was their big joy, but due to MS, whether it was weakness as their main symptom or fatigue, lack of endurance, they aren't running anymore. How would you go about teaching someone to relearn how to run rather than just improving where they're currently at? Yeah, great question. And I really think that it starts with some patience, right? And really thinking about where are you currently at now and setting those expectations so it doesn't lead to frustration because we have many runners in our community who are just starting to run or they went through a major surgery or they have a diagnosis that kind of changed their current level of functioning like MS. And we've had people 
who haven't run since the beginning of COVID. And then they started running two years later and they thought they could just pick up where they left off two years ago. Right. So just thinking about, you know, where you're starting out and setting the expectations and saying, Hey, I'm not going to go out there and run for two miles or three miles. Cause I always used to do that. And that was an easy run for me, but I'm going to go out there and we're going to try to do some running and I'm going to do some walking and we'll talk about what that can look like, but I'm going to get outside and I'm going to lace up. I'm going to put on those running shoes, you know, for the first time that I haven't worn in a while, or I, I'm going to spoil myself and get myself a new pair of running shoes and I'm going to use them. Right. And, you know, just getting outside can be just such a benefit for our mental health, right? And just doing something that is challenging yourself. So I guess really making sure that you have the proper expectations and realizing that your current running fitness is much different than your previous running fitness. And that doesn't matter if you have MS or like I said, any of the other scenarios, we're constantly educating our running community about that because I see that all too often and what does it lead to if you don't think about that? It leads to frustration and then you stopping running. So one way to stick with it, and if you want it to be a habit that's going to stick, then it's really having the proper expectation and patience. And really what I would recommend is starting out with walk-run intervals. And this is going to be different for everyone, depending upon their level of weakness, their level of fatigue. Some runners that I have, I start with literally 30 seconds of jogging. Let's try to jog 30 seconds. And then we're going to walk for two minutes or maybe even three minutes. And then we're going to repeat that maybe three to four times, right? And you might start with a walking warm up, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes, depending upon again, where your level is. If you are someone who can walk for 10, 15, 20 minutes, then that gives us a nice baseline of, okay, you can probably walk for five minutes and that will serve as just getting your body into the walking rhythm. And then we're going to try some jogging for 30 seconds. And then we're going to walk for two minutes and you repeat that for intervals. And then you finish with a walk. And what you're going to see is as you go along with training, our bodies are going to adapt, right? Your body is going to become more familiar with running again. Your aerobic system is going to adapt. So from a cardiovascular standpoint, you're going to notice your heart rate's not going to rise up as high and your breathing is going to be a little bit in more control. And, you know, to that point, I would also say is most people starting out with this, they start running and they think sprints and or <laughs> all out effort. Yeah. What's really, really important in allowing your body to adapt to the demands of running is running slow and easy, we call it, our easy conversational pace. So if there was a friend next to you, you can literally have a conversation with them so you're not huffing and puffing and that's going slow. And we're not doing slow and sloppy. We're thinking about one of the variables and for those who are familiar with running, you might've heard about the term of cadence. And it just simply refers to the number of steps per minute that we take. So we don't want to have a number that's too low in cadence, maybe like 140, 150 steps per minute. There is no right number for anyone, but I would strive for most of my clients to get into the 160s. 170 is really hard. Like I strive to get there and I, I still struggle, but it, it is really just increasing our leg turnover time. So we're not spending as much time on the ground. 
So as we mentioned before, the two and a half to three times your body weight isn't going up into your leg. So there's less stress in your body with running and you don't get fatigued as much either. So kind of keeping it slow and controlled, but trying to increase your turnover time with your legs and it takes time. And as you go and progress, what you're going to see is, and there's some clients I work with each week, I'm changing those variables based upon how you feel during the run. And then how do you feel after the run? Are you more fatigued after the run, right? So you have to measure all those variables and then modify and gradually in a progressive fashion, kind of build up your run plan where you are running for longer distances. And usually when I have someone who gets to a five minute run and maybe 30 second walk, then that's usually the point where it's saying, okay, now let's go out there and run a mile or two without stopping. But if you feel like you need to, or you feel like your breathing is getting out of control, you feel like your heart rate's going too high, go ahead and take a little walking break. And that's totally fine. And your body will adapt over time. And you're going to see that your running fitness is going to improve. And, you know, most commonly, a lot of our folks who go through a program like that, they can do that in eight week time period and maybe even build up to a 5k distance. And they might want to participate in their local 5k in their community. So there are ways you don't need to go right into, all right, I got to go out there and run two or three miles. And then you quote unquote fail. And then you get discouraged and it's like, oh, I got MS now. And now look, I'm never going to be able to run. So there are these incremental steps that are really important from a training perspective, besides the strengthening that we already talked about to kind of set your bodies up for success when you are going out there for your runs. Yeah. And the mindset too, which you touched on. I love that you start with mindset, especially if you're someone who was a runner in the past and maybe you haven't been running at all, or your running is different now. I have the personality where I first jump to the how, like, okay, how am I going to get back to it? Like, what am I going to do? What exercises? How long am I going to go? And I love that you start with expectations and taking that back because that's such a great place to start. And also you were saying, it's okay to walk. You don't have to run the whole time. That for me feels like, okay, there's less pressure. I don't have to run. I specifically remember running. I don't even think I was training for anything. I think I was just running. And I kept repeating to myself, runners don't stop. Runners don't stop because I felt like in order to feel accomplished, I needed to run the entire thing, even though my knees were hurting and even though I wasn't really enjoying it. So just hearing you give permission almost like you can stop, you can go at your own pace is just really refreshing to hear. I love that, that you called that out. Yeah. And there's actually a whole coaching system that was built upon this walk run method. So if you guys have ever heard about Jeff Galloway, he's a kind of a famous run coach. And I know a lot of the run Disney events utilize his plans. We work with many clients who have done the Galloway kind of method. And he has like a very scientific approach to the walk run method and really firmly believes that no matter what your status is, like you will actually get faster as a runner if you actually take more walking breaks. And we, you know, continually coach our clients on those that are running races to, yes, stop at the water station and walk the water so you actually get it in <laughs> as opposed to trying to run and it's going all over your face because you want to get the hydration in 
and that's going to help you in your performance. So I walk all of my water stations during all my running events and we constantly coach our clients on that. So yeah, I would say that's like a huge misconception of like, in order to be a runner, you need to like run without walking ever. Even the elites walk at times. So there's definitely a place for walking. So you don't need to put so much pressure on yourselves. Yeah. I remember one of the half marathons that I ran with my sister. We tried to run the entire time because that's what we were training for. And there was this woman who was about our same age and she was doing a walk run interval. And I don't know what intervals she was doing, but when she was walking, we would pass her. But when she was running, she would pass us. And I am pretty sure that she finished the race before us because I remember feeling so jealous, like, ah, she finished before us and she got to walk. Like, that's unfair. Like I was killing myself to run this whole time. Yeah, that was really eye-opening. Right. Yeah, it's all about pacing and novice runners. And trust me, I've made this mistake many, many times in my early running journey is you go out there too hard, too fast, and you fizzle out. And in the running space, we call that positive splits, meaning every single mile in your race, you just got slower and slower and slower. And any um, world record of any distance running event is always the opposite scenario, a negative split. So in our kind of race day strategy blueprint that we share with all of our runners, we really talk about the first three miles are actually your slowest miles of, let's say a half marathon distance is your slowest miles of the whole race, which is so hard for people to do because you're just like energized, right? Everyone's at the start line. People are just like going so your adrenaline's pumping, but it takes time and patience to really hold back and pace yourselves because that ultimately is going to get you to your end goal. And if you are someone who has MS and you're worried about your endurance, your fatigue, like your end goal is to eventually probably run consistently three times a week, right? Or maybe four times a week, or maybe run a half marathon again then you need to think about that's your end goal. You're going to really need to work on some proper pacing strategies with your run plan itself in order to get you to that end goal. Yeah. Okay. So we've got some strengthening exercises that we know we should be doing. We're going to work on mindset, interval training. Now, as you know, with MS, there's so many different symptoms that are possible, like heat intolerance, spasticity, foot drop, how would you work around that? Do you have any tips or tricks or strategies for someone who will likely develop certain symptoms while running? Yeah, no, great question. And it, in terms of the heat intolerance, it's not much different than we would educate those who are in really warm climates. Like a lot of our runners are in Florida or in Texas. This summer was brutal in Texas. They had like literally two straight months of temperatures and hundred degree mark. So wow. it really wouldn't be much different that we educate our runners in those conditions, but someone who has MS, you're thinking about that constantly, right? All year round and finding strategies to make sure that the heat is not leading to a flare or not feeling too fatigued after your runs. So I guess First point is if it is going to be warm weather or climate, thinking about the possibility of running on a treadmill indoors in air conditioned place. Conversely, sometimes you can have treadmills indoors that are actually warmer 
So that might not be a good solution if you're a treadmill runner, right? So I take those scenarios both ways. And if it is warmer inside indoor environment versus cooler outside, then think about going outside. The big variable we look at as runners in terms of how it's going to affect your body from a physical standpoint is not the temperature. It's not even the humidity, but it's the dew point. And that's the one variable that really makes a huge difference in your endurance and your cardiovascular system and how we perceive effort. So for example, I just actually uh, came back from a vacation in Turks and Caicos, which was absolutely amazing. But the dew point there literally every day was 75 degrees, which is right on the threshold of dangerous. No one would ever run a race in those conditions. And I planned it out where I did my long run the day before I left for vacation, my long run the day I got back from vacation, and I did not have any speed work or faster running during that week because I knew it would not be conducive for my body. So it was just slow and easy runs. One thing on your weather app, if you're wondering, hey, am I not going to tolerate the heat well today? Check out your dew point on your weather apps. That's very important. Anything over 65 degrees is going to feel like really uncomfortable over 60 degree dew point, especially if you have MS, I would say, okay, let's manage our expectations. You know, maybe let's not run as much. Let's take more walking breaks. Let's do some of these other strategies to keep you cool. And we could talk about what those strategies are. And then if you're under 60 degree dew point, those are like comfortable running conditions where the weather itself is not going to affect you because you already have your body, right? That is affecting this heat intolerance that you get with MS. So the weather that affects everyone and everyone's bodies, you know, heat intolerant, but you're just going to be more susceptible and need to even track that a little bit more than someone who doesn't have MS. So some of those cooling strategies that we kind of have talked about before, and some of the things that we mentioned to our runners who do need to do some races in extreme conditions because they can't control the weather and they already signed up and they paid like 150 bucks to run this marathon. And, you know, some of those is keeping your body cool beforehand. Cause commonly we, as physical therapists, we always recommend that we warm up before our runs for someone with MS. You got to make sure you're keeping your body cool before <laughs> your run. So you're actually starting at a cooler point from a core body temperature standpoint. So whatever strategies, like I know they make some cooling vests for myself personally, I have one of those vests that are a hydration vest and I have two 20 ounce water bottles that I'll take. I'll freeze those, put them in my freezer. So they're like super cold, almost halfway ice, halfway water. And that actually cools my whole core down where the vest is. And the other trick that I really love is a running hat, which definitely protects you from the sun and prevents the sun from baking you in overheating, but then also put some ice cubes in the hat, put it on your head. And that cooling to be able to cool your scalp is huge from core body temperature standpoint. You'll see runners at races, taking the water and putting it on their heads. That's a nice strategy. If you can get ice even better. And I love it because the ice cubes will take a good three miles or whatever, 30 minutes to melt. So it really keeps that core body temperature down. Other areas that will cool the core body temperatures, the back of your neck, your armpit area. So if you can put ice cubes or if you have a Ziploc bag that you can grab from a friend or something and put those under your arms or on your wrists, those are the spots in our bodies that will help lower our core body temperature down. You know, unless you can walk into a walk-in freezer at a restaurant somewhere, right? We're probably not going to have access to that. 
So if you hit those other areas of our body, then that will help kind of keep that core body temperature a little bit cooler. Are there any other strategies that you usually recommend for your clients that you work with? Well, I just got to say, I love your ice on your head one, because (laughs) I haven't suggested that to my clients before, but it makes sense. The ice would take a while to melt and you got a hat on there. It's not going to go anywhere. I love that tip. The tips that I usually go for are cooling device options, like a cooling vest, cooling neck wrap, wicking shirts to help evaporate that sweat a little bit more, because that way you can focus on the exercise without having to hold on to things. Someone once told me that they held on to ice packs, but then I just felt like for sure, you know, your hands stay cool. That can cool the rest of your body down, but then you have to hold on to those things. And if you need a sip of water, you know, it's just harder to do that. So I like the outfits and the wrap, the vest, all that good stuff. Yeah. You know what I was just thinking about is, you know how they have those weighted vests where you can put weights in them? I wonder if they weren't those small, small ones, if they were a little bigger pockets. Could you literally put ice packs that we put in like our lunch bags in the weighted vest? And then that were like- Yeah, you probably could. Some of the cooling vests out there have a somewhat similar design where you put the ice packs in them. So yeah, I bet that would work. That would at least be a good way to see if something like that would work for you. One tool that I like is the stick or like a muscle rolling stick. But Mm -hmm. if my clients don't have it, I suggest using a rolling pin because it's a good way just to see if it actually does loosen your muscles up or not. So I feel like that, that weighted vest could be a cooling option potentially. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. So my final question for you, because I get asked this question all the time, is what are your favorite pairs of shoes, whether it's for running or walking, you know, general day-to-day movement, and maybe that's two different answers. With MS, foot drop is common, foot scuffing, the front of your shoes will wear away a bit. Do you have a specific brand that you like? And also, what do you look for when it comes to shoe wear? Excellent question. And this is a very common question. And the, the short answer is you are going to need to trial shoes and every shoe brand has its own line of different versions of running shoes. So when we categorize running shoes, we really categorize them into those that are a cushioning shoe. So if you really thought about running on the bottom of your shoe, it's like a pillow, right? It's like cushioning. It, it moves a lot and there's some bounce in it or a neutral shoe, and then one that's more on the stability end. So for those that might've been told they're an overpronator or they have flat arches and maybe they needed arch supports or they needed orthotics and where they needed stability shoes, right? That shoe is gonna provide you more stability. So what we really look at for running is we want a shoe that is going to help your foot function the best way it can. I would highly recommend to make sure that your running shoe actually has room in what we call the toe box to allow your toes to splay out. And there's more and more shoes now that are coming on the market that allow that. 10 years ago, you couldn't find any. So shoe companies are starting to understand foot function a little better. And it is really important for us to use the small little muscles on the bottom of our feet 
that are going to help actually stabilize our foot and ankle to not only rely on external supports, such as like orthotics or arch supports. So one that really allows your foot to function the best, whether it is a ASIC shoe, a Brooks, a Saucony, a Nike shoe, all of those shoe companies have different versions of cushioning or stability or a neutral shoe. And then not to make things even more confusing than they are, because I already know I'm going down that route, but there are two other variables that I do think that you need to consider, especially if you've had some knee pain with running or you've had foot and ankle pain with running. Two of those variables are stack height, which is the amount of distance under the shoe. So if you think about some that may be familiar with a Hoka shoe, it's thicker. It looks like it's almost like a platform shoe, essentially, right? That's stack height. And that's one thing that can change in different shoes. And now we're starting to see other brands that have a higher stack height shoe, just like a Hoka. And then there's others with a low stack height, which we call minimalist shoes. So if you just think about putting a piece of cloth under your foot, that would be like 10 years ago, that was like the barefoot movement and barefoot running. Um, with like born to run and that became very popular. Now it's called what we call like minimalism. And there's different shoes that have pretty much no stack height where your foot is closer to the ground. So if your foot's closer to the ground and you've had a history of foot pain, plantar fasciitis, or you've had a bunion, a bunionectomy, or you have metatarsalgia, any of those conditions, Morton's neuroma, then getting a shoe where your foot's closer to the ground might actually irritate those areas because you're loading your foot more. However, if you had knee pain and runner's knee and IT band syndrome, actually getting your foot a little closer to the ground puts less stress on your knee, but we're also trading it off for putting more stress on your foot and ankle. So we need to make sure that we're strengthening those muscles and that your feet don't have a history of injuries in those areas. So kind of that stack height and then real quick, not to confuse people more, but then there's also a difference in heel drop, which is the back of the shoe distance to the front of the shoe. And that's the same thing. The lower the heel drop is like running barefoot, puts more stress on the foot and ankle, less on the knee. So it can be a nice strategy for those that have been battling knee pain for years and they don't have any foot stuff going on, and you give them proper what we call a short foot exercise or kind of foot core activation, and they're doing that before their runs, then I feel more comfortable gradually decreasing someone's heel drop from a traditional running shoe, which might be like 10 millimeters or 12 millimeters, and gradually bringing them down. So there are many variables that running shoes look at, and it's not just the company or the brand, because most of them now have this spectrum of running shoes. The biggest thing we recommend for our clients, honestly, is to go to your local running shoe store, because the folks in those stores will know the differences. They'll take a look at you walking usually, take a look at you running. Obviously, if you have a good running PT in your local area that can do a gait analysis, I would highly recommend that who can guide you and, okay, I would like you to get more of a stability shoe, or even if someone with MS was having problems clearing their foot, some of the Hoka shoes are what we call more of a rocker type bottom shoe. So that might help someone with MS 
be able to kind of propel forward a little bit more without requiring as much muscle strength. But again, it is a matter of trial and error and trying them, see how they feel for you. And most of the local running shoe stores as well will let you actually put them on, run even outside in the shoe. So you can really get a feel for it. And then once you find a shoe that does work for you, as long as the shoe brand doesn't change it drastically, because they do that almost every year or two, which can be very frustrating when you find your perfect shoe, then if you want to order online or whatever, um, but we always like to support our uh, small shops in our local running communities. So I'm not sure if I answer your question, but hopefully it provided a little more insight. And it's always that gray answer of it depends. Yeah, absolutely. That was really helpful. I love that you pointed out the different parts of the shoe to look for, because you're so right. I recently was in, I think it was a Nike store and there are all sorts of different heights, different squishiness, you know, the heel drop, which I didn't know that name until now, but you know, that was different on all of them. So it's at least very helpful understanding the different parts of the shoe to look for, because I have some clients who know that they walk better or run better in a flat shoe, like a more minimalist shoe, but others love the Hoka ones, you know, the ones that have mm -hmm. more material underneath there. And so it is different for everyone, but trying them out, knowing what you're looking for and knowing that terminology is also really helpful. So that was great. My final question for you is you've mentioned a few times now your blueprint. Can you tell us more about what that is, how someone can get it, and also how we can find you for more information? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the, the blueprint was really the first five episodes of the Healthy Runner podcast when I did create it. And it's kind of like these foundational principles that I feel that every runner really needs to learn and implement into their training in order to run, in order to run stronger and stay healthy. So we can become lifelong injury-free runners. And you can definitely get the blueprint. If you go to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com, that is where you can find not only the blueprint, but if you've ever battled any common running related injury, whether it was shin splints or plantar fasciitis, runner's knee, I have free guides on there on how we can prevent those things from coming back. So you can go there. Spark Healthy Runner is the website and it is kind of home base. Uh, it does need some updates and improvements. Um, <laughs> but if you go to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com, we'll have like our latest eBooks as well as some of the programs that we help runners with. Awesome. And I'll put that link in the show notes. So if anyone is driving or just can't get to it right now, just check back for the show notes. And where can we find you? I know you're on social media. I know you've got a YouTube page. Can you give us some of those links or pieces of information of where we can look for you? It's all pretty consistent of Spark Healthy Runner. So on Instagram at Spark Healthy Runner, if you search in YouTube, Spark Healthy Runner, we have probably over 200 videos now, uh, specifically you know, whether they're exercises or training tips for runners, nutrition, hydration tips, marathon specific tips, right? We have everything to really kind of help a runner be able to run for longevity from like a physical standpoint, or if you're struggling just mentally, you know, mental hurdles and mindset. You know, we talked a little bit about mindset today, but we have deep dive episodes and trainings on those topics as well. So yeah, you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. We have a Healthy Runner Facebook community. If you're looking for, you know, some community where 
like-minded individuals who are either starting out to run or, you know, they just are consistent runners. We have a whole team of coaches that share some great running tips in there. Awesome. I have the links to all of those. So I will also put those in the show notes. But this has been so insightful. And again, I really appreciate your expertise and your focus in this area because it's pretty rare, actually, especially when it comes to physical therapy and not just running, but running in the right way and training in the right way. So thank you so much for your time and expertise. Well, thank you for having me on, Gretchen. It's always uh, fun to connect with you. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.